0: Hi, everyone. This is NBC 10 Boston's Countdown to Decision 2022, where we break down the biggest political news leading up to Election Day. We're less than a week away. And on this bonus episode, we're sharing NECN's special election show that takes a closer look at the key Senate races across the U.S. that could decide the balance of power.
1: Right now, Decision 2022, the fight for power in Washington.
2: It's going to be really cr- close on election night and perhaps beyond. The nation gears up for an election that could shake up power in Washington.
1: I'm nervous, but excited. Why scary? I heard that before. Well, because, you know, the of our are online, I feel.
3: Tonight, we're taking a closer look at the key Senate races.
4: I don't talk about conservative values. I talk about American values. We have always known this was
3: going to be a really close race. As
1: control of Congress hangs in the balance, your Decision 2022 election coverage begins now. We are exactly one week away from the 2022 midterm elections, Americans set to cast their votes in a high-stakes election that could have major ramifications for which party has power on Capitol Hill. This is what the balance of power in the Senate looks like at the moment. Democrats control the 50-50 chamber by virtue of Vice President Kamala Harris's tie-breaking vote. On Election Day, there are 35 Senate seats up for grabs in the midterms. To take control of power, one party must win at least six of the 10 most competitive races. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Glenn Jones. We continue to get you ready for next week's November 8th midterm elections. Tonight, we're spotlighting some of the key races that could lead to a shakeup in Washington. Here are five we consider worth watching. In New Hampshire, Democrat Maggie Hassan facing off against Republican Don Baldock. Pennsylvania is a pivotal battleground state for Democrats. John Featherman is taking on Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz. In Florida, Republican Senator Marco Rubio looks to hold onto his seat against his Democratic challenger, Val Demings. While in Wisconsin, incumbent Republican Senator Ron Johnson also trying to win his reelection bid over his Democratic challenger, Mandela Barnes. And finally, in Georgia, a neck-and-neck neck race between incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock and his Republican competitor, Herschel Walker. That Georgia race could have us all holding our breath. The winner needs 50 plus 1 percent of the vote. Since there's a libertarian candidate in the race, it's possible no one gets 51 percent. Should that be the case, the top two candidates will have a runoff in December, and that Georgia runoff could decide the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. Let's go more in depth now on one of those settle, see uh, one of those Senate battlegrounds and that's that's in New Hampshire. It's the highly contested race between the incumbent Democrat Maggie Hassan and Republican nominee Don Balduck. This race is shaping up to be one of the closest in the country. After winning the Republican primary, Balduck has tried to be more appealing to independent voters. Just yesterday, former President Donald Trump endorsed Balduck on his social media platform Truth Social while also rebuking him for flip-flopping his views on the 2020 election. Here is what one New Hampshire political analyst had to say about the endorsement. And I'm not sure that a Trump endorsement is going to move the needle among undecided independent voters. But recent polling does show Hassan's lead shrinking. She says she is mainly working to remind voters of her record of results since taking office. Political experts think her campaign strategy has been very disciplined, making it about the retired army general and his record. Both candidates go head-to-head one last time in a televised debate tomorrow night. We'll be keeping a close eye on this race as Election Day nears. Continuing our coverage, let's stay focused on New Hampshire, where the Senate race isn't the only close competition this election season. Our political analyst, Sue O'Connell, has more on the first congressional district race going on in the state between Republican Caroline Levitt and incumbent Democrat Chris Pappas. Sue, these are two very interesting candidates. We've been watching them closely.
2: To say the least, Glenn, we've got incumbent Congressman Chris Pappas. He's running for re-election to his second term. He's the first openly gay man to represent New Hampshire in Congress. And Pappas, he's worked on health care issues. He's tried to lower the cost of prescription prescription drugs while he's been in Congress. And then we have Republican challenger Carolyn Levitt. She's a White House staffer for President—former President Trump— And she's a member of the Gen Z demographic. And if she gets elected, she would be the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. She's just 25. Now, Levitt previously said that Joe Biden absolutely did not legitimately win the 2020 presidential election. But like some other candidates, she's recently said that Biden is, quote, the legitimate president. She opposes abortion and gun control.
1: All right. So, Sue, New Hampshire is one of those purple states. So it mm-hmm. means, you know, sometimes they lean blue, sometimes they lean red. So what I'm wondering now is what are the polls showing with these two candidates? Yeah.
2: So a poll was just released today, Glenn, by the St. Anselm College Survey Center. And the poll shows that Republican Levitt is pulling ahead of Democrat Pappas. Levitt now leads Pappas 51 to 45 percent. But we have to take into account the margin for error in the poll. So um, many analysts would still say they are in a dead
1: heat. All right. So if I look back to 2020, we know that President Joe Biden won New Hampshire. So is there any chance that those people who voted for him turn out for Pappas? Yeah,
2: they most likely will, Glenn. And Biden, remember, won this particular district. District won by six points over Trump. But the district was redrawn after the 2020 census, but its makeup (laughs) has stayed the same. So the question really is, which party's voters are more engaged in the outcome of this election? You know, I talked with a couple of New Hampshire politicos this week, and they report to me that voter enthusiasm is meh. So who wins this race is still going to be up on the air, and depending on which voters get out to vote.
1: All right, in most of the battlegrounds, it's a lot of enthusiasm, but in this one, meh, meh. All right, thank you, Sue. Highlighting other key Senate races across the country, Alice Barr is tracking the latest in battleground Pennsylvania, with heated Senate and gubernatorial races making that state a political hotbed. She's talking to voters about finding the shades of gray between the political extremes that so often drive us apart.
4: I'm Alice Barr in downtown Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where hotly contested governor and Senate races have put the midterm elections front and center. With so much at stake, including which party will control the Senate, people here are motivated to vote, and they're focused on a broad range of issues. We sat down with a cross-section of voters to talk about what's driving them to the polls and how they find common ground in a country where the two parties are increasingly driven apart.
3: I think one of the benefits of us living in this small community, too, is there is some kind of synergy that gets developed between people who have these disparate viewpoints, where you can actually come to creative solutions that you probably wouldn't get to if everybody is on the same page and thinking exactly the same way.
4: I feel as though if people all thought the same or if they all had the same political party ideations, the world would be very boring. So if one party wins the election, we can't think, oh, everything's over, we're done for, that's not true. We have to think there's a bigger picture out there. The biggest theme here in a community of this size, these voters say it's really impossible to avoid interacting with people with different political views. And as that reality draws them together, they want more politicians to stop pushing them apart by boxing voters into extreme choices. In Williamsport, Pennsylvania, Alice Barr, NBC News.
1: OK, let's go from Pennsylvania to Florida now, where incumbent Republican Senator Marco Rubio is seeking a third term in office, but he'll have to fight off Democratic challenger Val Demings to keep his seat. Our Monica Madea joins us in studio to break this race down in one of the largest swing states in the U.S.
5: Glenn, Republican Florida Senator Marco Rubio is seeking re-election, but Congresswoman Val Demings is hoping she will represent the Sunshine State as a Democratic senator. Polling has shown the incumbent Rubio as having the lead over the former Orlando Police Chief Demings. The two faced off in a debate a couple of weeks ago. The issues that generated buzz, their responses on immigration and abortion, which Rubio describes himself as pro-life and co-sponsored a bill to ban abortion after 15 weeks. The extremist on abortion in this campaign is Congresswoman Demings. She supports no restrictions, no limitations of any kind. No, I don't think it's okay for you to make decisions for women and girls. As a senator, I support a woman's right to choose up to the time of viability. The topic of guns also generated passion from both sides when they were asked if they would support a federal ban on the sale of assault weapons to people under 21. Rubio said the law won't stop mass shootings. It acknowledged the red flag law he supported. Demings responded a bit angrily by saying that Rubio failed the families of shooting victims. On the issue of the economy, Rubio, who was first elected to the Senate in 2010, blamed Democrats for inflation. Demings accused Rubio of lying about her record in Congress during the debate. This race, just one of several that could prove pivotal for the control of the U.S. Senate. Glenn, back to you.
1: Okay, Monica, thank you. As those critical races tighten up, the campaigns are pulling out all the stops. On the Democratic side, President Biden was in Florida today, where—while former President Obama was in Nevada. On the Republican side, Donald Trump Jr. has also made stops in Nevada, and former Vice President Mike Pence was in Georgia. And in a twist, in Ohio's critical Senate race— Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney, who's an outspoken critic of former President Trump, today endorsed Democrat Tim Ryan in that race over the Trump-backed candidate, Republican J.D. Vance. Liz Cheney is, of course, the vice chair of the January 6th committee. So do the midterms really matter? Of course, the answer is yes. But the why may surprise you. Up next, we're taking a deeper dive into that question. Your NECN election special continues just ahead. Stay with us.
5: Making the case that this is not a referendum, it's a choice, a fundamental choice, a choice between two very different visions for the country. We're
1: on a push to the finish line, one week to go until the midterms. But one question we're tackling tonight, do midterm elections matter? LX News political editor Noah Pransky explains how the 1994 midterm changed the face of politics. Not only that, but future political campaigns, too, and the entire agenda for a sitting president. Presidential elections are a big deal. But I'm going to tell you why the congressional midterms,
3: which so many Americans choose to sit out, can be an even bigger deal sometimes. And I only need one example 1994, and the dominoes that fell after President Bill Clinton's Democratic Party lost 54 seats in the House and eight seats in the Senate, the worst electoral show lacking in nearly 50 years. What did it change? The way American politics function. First of all, it moved a very progressive president back toward the middle. Clinton's first two years in office, working with a Democratic House and Democratic Senate, were a golden era for liberals. They raised taxes, increased social spending, and passed an assault weapons ban. Then came his party's humbling defeats in
1: 1994.
5: The era of big government is over. Clinton
3: would go on to sign the Defense of Marriage Act, which denied federal rights to married gay couples for 17 years. A major rollback of welfare access in 1996, a cut in the capital gains tax the following year, and the country's first balanced budgets in nearly three decades. But maybe more significantly, that 1994 midterm election launched the era of political tribalism, led by the top Republican in the House, Newt Gingrich. Gingrich created this idea among Republicans that it was, in fact, possible, and that the way to get there was to draw as many sharp, distinct, and dramatic uh, contrasts with Democrats as possible. And and that meant a much more sort of confrontational style of politics. NBC News national political correspondent Steve Kornacki wrote, The red and the blue, the 1990s, and the birth of political tribalism. And he points to 1994 as the start of zero-sum politicking. The only way to win is to make the side. Side lose politics of contrast that Gingrich really sort of pushed um, really is kind of the way, way life is in the House now. Gingrich and Clinton had such a divisive relationship, they shut the government down twice in 1995. But voters didn't blame the president, they blamed Republicans. Gingrich gave Clinton an easy scapegoat. And Democrats learned the politics of division can work for them, too. It's an unfortunate legacy of the dominoes that started to fall in 1994, thanks to America's choice and that one key midterm.
1: Thank you, Noah. With a week until Election Day, an NBC News poll shows voters are calling these midterms really important. Take a look at this. 57 percent of registered voters say this midterm cycle is more important than past ones. That number up from 52 percent in 2018 and 44 percent back in 2010. Another NBC News poll shows voter interest at an all-time high. Seventy percent of all registered voters expressed high interest in the upcoming election, Voter interest was at its lowest in 2014, with only 50 percent of voters interested in the midterms. From polling locations nationwide to the U.S. Capitol to the threat of political violence, it's becoming more urgent. Look no farther than San Francisco last Friday. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband was brutally attacked in his home. The man accused in that attack appearing in court today. Aaron McLaughlin reports from San Francisco.
0: Well, it was a short hearing at the San Francisco Superior Court lasting less than 15 minutes. 42-year-old suspect David DePap appearing, entering a not guilty plea, saying one word, the word yes, when asked by a judge if he understood. He's being represented by a public defender who acknowledged during today's proceedings that he had yet to read the discovery in this case. He, uh, David DePap appeared with his arm in a sling wearing an orange jumpsuit and a mask. cameras were not allowed inside the courtroom today. However, a sketch artist providing sketches. There was supposed to be also a Zoom link for the family of Nancy Pelosi and Paul Pelosi, the victim, to appear. And yet that Zoom link did not work. Therefore, the family was not privy to today's proceedings. No bail has been set. The next hearing is expected for November 4th. Aaron McLaughlin, NBC News, San Francisco.
1: OK, Aaron. now the FBI and Homeland Security are warning voters about threats surrounding the upcoming election. They say those threats have increased due to extremist groups. In fact, annual case numbers more than doubled from five years ago. And across the country, election workers are targets. There was stuff
0: on Facebook, a lot of emails, things like, we, we have you now, we have proof, better watch your back, you should be hung.
1: Speaker Pelosi is not the only lawmaker facing threats of attack. U.S. Capitol Police report roughly 1,800 cases opened in just the first three months of the year due to, quote, concerning statements and threats against members of Congress. Still much more to come here tonight. How much do you know about the midterms? Sue O'Connell will be back. She goes out on the street to see how much people know about what's on the line in this election and how many people are planning to go out and vote. Stay with us as your decision 2022 coverage continues ahead. Thanks for staying with us here on NECN, preparing you for next week's election. We're joined once again by our political analyst, Sue O'Connell. And Sue, I love when you go out, Uh you pound the pavement, and you talk to voters. What are they saying about this upcoming midterm?
2: Well, you know, Glenn, what I learn every single time I go out is we call them the midterms. Right, and they're like, "What the heck are you <laughs> talking about?" Right, and I'll say, "Are you going to vote?" And they go, "Yes, I'm going to vote, but what are these midterms you talk about?" So I hit the streets. Let's take a look at what some Bostonians and some tourists had to say. Are you guys voting in the midterm elections?
1: Here we go. Of course. I mean, it's you know a couple of weeks away. Got to got to do our civic duty. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I got to do my research. I will be voting.
2: Are you looking at any national races?
1: They're interesting, but you know, as a Massachusetts local, you know, you can got to focus on where you are first. I I agree everything what he said.
2: Are you guys voting in the midterm elections? We're actually from Portland, Oregon, though. We're voting. We We are are definitely voting. voting. I sent I sent in my ballot. We have mail-in voting over in Oregon. Any other states races that you're looking at? Any other Senate races that you're paying attention to? Yeah, Florida. Probably Georgia would be another one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those swing states. Do you know what the split in the Senate is? nationally, Republicans and Democrats?
1: It's 50-50, right, with Kamala Harris as the deciding vote.
2: What's going to happen? Do you think the the Democrats are going to hang on to the Senate and the House, or what?
1: I think the Democrats will probably hang on to the Senate. They're going to probably lose the House. Are
2: you voting in the midterm elections? Uh, Yeah, I think so. haven't thought too much about it. Do you know what's on the line for the Democrats and the Republicans in the midterm elections nationally?
5: Not overly, no.
2: Okay. Are you looking at any national races in other states or cities? Nope. Are you guys voting in the midterm elections? no no are you voting in the midterm election not decided yet you're, but you will be I don't know hey are you voting in the midterm elections this year uh, probably not how come
3: I'm a New Hampshire resident
2: Well it's a national election oh um,
3: <laughs> <laughs> then I guess yeah
2: probably <laughs> yes, you are. do you know what the balance of power is in the Senate right now I don't you know what's on the line for the midterms this year I don't anybody voting in the midterm elections <laughs> Right. Oh, <there's
1: laughs> <you're> gonna... <laughs>
2: So a variety, Glenn, of folks who have no idea what I'm talking about, even though they say they're definitely going to vote, um, and haven't looked at who the candidates are yet.
1: You know, in that New Hampshire race, there have been so many ads on television. I'm surprised that voter didn't know this was going on in his state. Right. And what we spoke about earlier when I said the reaction to the District 1 race is a
2: little meh, right? Right. Uh, not really because we see all these ads and everything, but there's a whole bunch of people right in the middle who are not like, you know, totally right-wing or totally left-wing who are just living their lives every day. And I don't know that the candidates or we are reaching them, but this year I think we'll have a historic turnout for this midterm election, so we'll see what happens. I'm actually predicting that the Democrats are going to hold the Senate and the
1: House. All right, well, let's see what these uh, forecast numbers say. Let's take a look at this incredible research, really. According to projections from 538, the Senate will remain a 50-50 split between Republicans and Democrats. This model simulates the election 40,000 times to see which party wins the Senate most often. The likely outcome from the model shows both parties holding 50 seats each. Again, if that's the case, Democrats will control the Senate by virtue of Vice President Kamala Harris having the deciding vote. Same deal here. Take a look at this one. This model shows which party wins the House most often. And you can see it right on your screen that the GOP is favored to win back control of the House based on the outcomes of this 538 forecast. So, this really comes down to the Senate, and we talked about five battleground states mm-hmm. today—Florida, Georgia, Wisconsin, New Hampshire, and Pennsylvania. Yeah. But there's still Nevada and Arizona. And Ohio. And Ohio.
2: Right. So, there's a lot going on. And what's interesting about these races is, although the Senate represents— all your interests mm-hmm. on the federal government, right people tend to vote based on what 's happening to them in their in their pocketbook yep. in their 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 kitchen table. These big issues like abortion and the war in Ukraine, which is what the Senate works on don't tend to make it into the campaign. So it's an interesting split, and that's why I think sometimes people have a hard time wrapping their brain around what it is they're actually voting on. And for for the House, you know, that's another situation there where every seat is actually technically up for re-election, right? So we'll see what happens there. Well,
1: you talk about that split. Let's talk about splitting votes, because we have a mm-hmm. lot of gubernatorial races in these battleground right. states. And in places like New Hampshire and in Georgia, you could get— some vote And in Arizona. (laughs) Somebody voting Republican in one race and voting Democrat in the other. Yep,
2: absolutely. So I'm not sure we're going to see—usually midterms go to the, the party that's not in power. That we're even talking that the Democrats are in the hunt makes this an incredibly difficult year to predict. So that's why it's exciting.
1: And it also seems so unlikely that on election night, we'll know the results we of the balance not. of power. We could oh. have this runoff in Georgia in December, so it could be at least that long. That is certainly we'll what we have sit to deal right with. Here. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just hang out, bring some popcorn. <laughs> that is all we have time for tonight here on NECN. It's been so great being with you. I'm Glenn Jones, along with Sue O'Connell.